Crafts Drive presents. Oh, got to get ready. Laptop. Plant. That looks nice there. Ooh, cookies. Yo. Notebook. Microphone. Webcam. And coffee, of course. A video podcast where deaf, hard of hearing, and disabled creatives and their allies chat about experiences, best practice, and the future of the arts. The Green Room. Hello and welcome to The Green Room. Strive, the Strive Collective have created The Green Room and the Scribe Collective are made up of two companies, the DH Ensemble and Hot Calls and it's a collaboration between those two theatre groups to create Strive Collective. Every week we're going to be sitting down and having chats every week doing video podcasts. So we're thinking, why, why do we call it the green room? Well, there's a green room in most theatres and it's where actors, crew, stage managers, when they actually want to have a bit of a relax, a bit of a chill, maybe some lunch, or maybe there's a break with a theatre interval. So they can go to the green room and have a little bit of a relax and a chat, maybe some food. And that's where they actually meet um, because obviously, you know, theatre is a big place. That's where they meet each other and have a relax and a switch off and hang out. They can have personal chats, have a bit of a laugh, put their work to one side and just have a relaxed chat with each other. So we thought that was a perfect name for this because we're going to be meeting people and having informal chats, not formal chats, having informal chats with whoever we're speaking to. So my name is Stephen, Stephen Collins. I'm very excited because I am a, an actor, I'm going to be an facilitator, and I'm also training at the moment to become a director. So I'm very excited to be hosting this interview. I'm one of four lead artists, uh, part of the DH Ensemble. And I am a white, deaf male. I've got brown hair. I've got slightly ginger beard. And I've also got freckles all over. I'm five foot six and um, my body is quite sort of roundish. And I'm always smiling. I've got a very expressive face and expressive eyebrows, very strong eyebrows. So that's part of my fe distinctive feature. I'm wearing um, sort of a brownish, yellowish, reddish, greyish, with um, diamonds all over a shirt and it looks um, you know a little bit like sort of um, curtains that have been cut up and then sewn together to make my shirt so the green room my the interpreter's uh, screen is currently frozen so Stephen Collins is frozen for me oh he's back again so uh, in terms of the background He's got um, a cupboard in the back of him. Uh, he's back again. The interpreter can see Stephen signing again. Um, you can probably hear the voice of a person, um, which is the lovely Bev, Bev Wilson. And um, she's going to be voicing for Stephen all the way through. So back to Stephen again. So maybe occasionally um, my voice might actually come through, um, but Bev's voice will be the overriding voice. So this is time for Bev to say hi. Uh, describe myself. Hello there, my name is Bev. I'm a sign language interpreter. Um, I am a white female with blonde hair, quite short, messy, currently with very, very dark roots because I need to go to the hairdressers um, for a dye. I'm wearing a quite a tight black jumper and I'm wearing quite dark rimmed sort of triangular glasses. And behind me is a light sort of grey background because I'm trying to look professional. <laughs> Thank you Bev. So um, I'm trying to do a, a, a London accent for Stephen um, but at the moment it's not that great that Stephen's asking the interpreter to do a London accent. Well I'll try. <laughs> okay so the green room it's going to be once a week over 12 weeks where we're going to sit down and have a chat to various different people. Uh, we've got an amazing, we've got amazing range of people. We've got deaf, hard of hearing, disabled talents, 
and they're working film, theatre. So we're going to have chats with all of those really exciting people. It's going to be great. So um, why did we set this up? Well, we wanted to celebrate people and hear their stories. Sometimes people we've not heard of. So um, they've done some amazing work to date and we want to showcase them and ask them more questions about what they do and hear their story. So there's some amazing stories coming up through those 12 weeks. Um, maybe they can give advice for other people who are watching and listening. Um, we will also be doing best practice, how you can actually like change to become more inclusive, to work in the theatre and adopt best practice within your work. So that'll be good to hear. And we want to inspire people. So, and we want to think about access within theatre and film as well, make that a, a priority. Uh, we wanted to be creative with access as well. So um, in terms of like diversity, we want to as many people as possible to think about access and creative access within their theatre and um, production work. So we want that to make that be the centre of what they're doing within their work. That going forward, they think about access as much as possible. And it's so that it becomes the norm and part of like the everyday. So that access is at the centre and not sidelined and an afterthought. It's right at the centre of all the work they do. So every Thursday at half past seven in the evening, we're going to send out a vlog podcast with two different people. Um, and the first person we're going to be meeting for interview um, today, well, we're going to be knowing more um, about them. If you want to know, sorry, if you want to know more about um, these interviews, you can look on the website and we've got the YouTube channel as well that you can have a look at and you can see the interviews that we put up there every week. And also it would be out on our social media as well. So there's plenty of platforms to see it on. You can actually follow um, our conversation as well. Um, the links of what we're talking about all the way through. And you can see that on Twitter. And our hashtag is hashtag the green room underscore UK. So hashtag the green room underscore UK. So you can follow us on that and see what's going on. And if you want to put in your comments, you're more than welcome to do so. And if you're sort of following what people are saying, if you've got any thoughts or any views or opinions, you just want to share something or add to the conversation, please go ahead and do that. So the introduction to the green room is now finished. We can relax a bit more in the informal green room because I am so excited to do this interview with the amazing, this amazing person. I know this person, I've known them for a long time. We've worked together. We've had lots of chats together in many different jobs and many different arenas. He's a wonderful person. I would like to introduce you to Alim Jada. Welcome, Alim. Thanks for having me. Oh, I am so excited to have you here. Can you tell us who you are and just describe yourself a little bit for the audience at home? Of course. I am Alam. This is my sign name. So it's a swing on the hands, two fingers dancing on the palm of the other hand. And that represents the fact that I have been a dancer for many years. So that has been given to me as my sign name. I am half Indian, half white. I'm an actor, a sign language interpreter. I am bald. I have an oval face with a light beard. And I have a turtleneck grey sweater on today. I'm dreaming it's the summer, but it is in fact winter, hence my attire. I have a blue background behind me, very solid blue. My dream voice is Susan Booth, who I'm lucky to have interpreting for me today. So I'd like to hand over to Susan to introduce herself. Hello, my name is Susan Booth. I am a white, sadly middle-aged woman. My height is five feet four. I have short blonde hair, glasses and a pale complexion. I'm originally from the cathedral town of Lincoln, but I've lived in North Yorkshire for a while and that was before I moved to London. So you might hear sort of hints of different places in my accent. For today's interview, I'm working as a sign language, uh, 
sign language interpreter, although the way I'm signing, you wouldn't think so. <laughs> I'm here, I'm remote from my home in Sidcup. I have a grey background behind me and my voice, I'm delighted to say, will be representing Alan throughout the interview. That's fab. So we're going to start the chat with Alan and Bev and Susan Booth will be voicing over um, for myself and for Alan. So right. So just an informal chat. I've got my water ready. Oh, I've also got, um, uh, I think that's, is that got biscuits and chocolates in there? So usually in the green room, there's a table with various biscuits, cakes on that we all sort of flock towards and eat and have. And usually I take quite a few advice. So I thought, um, I would offer them out today to the audience, but oh, fortunately, just imagine that they're there next to you and you can watch them having your own biscuits and cakes. If you've got nothing next to you, please bring some next to you now and then you can start to watch the interview with them. Right, so now it's time to chat to Alan. I'm very excited for this interview. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're doing now? Um, how you became involved in acting? I know most actors are asked that question, but um, you know, why did you get into acting? What made you be interested in acting? So tell us, how did you get involved? So I'm now an actor, presenter, and sign language interpreter. So I cover a number of different roles. Um, my Both my parents are profoundly deaf, so I was raised within a deaf family. My role model was my grandma who was hard of hearing, but she loved to sing. So I would always listen to her singing. And then after time, I felt a fire burning within me and I watched EastEnders. I was obsessed with EastEnders. It was something we would watch together as a family. And this thought started to grow about me becoming an actor. When I went to secondary school, it was a performing arts environment. So every year there would be a production, a play. And I thought, okay, why shouldn't I go and audition? I was seven at the time. And the teacher said, you should be an actor, which I didn't take seriously at the time. Then sadly, my grandma passed away. But just before then, she said to me, you should go and train and have proper singing lessons. But of course, having deaf parents, singing was something that they couldn't relate to. So it got left by the wayside. Then I said I wanted to learn the piano. So a very old archaic rickety piano was bought for me in order to learn to play and it was out of tune and I said it needed tuning in order for me to play and the response was but we've paid for it why do you want it tuned as well so this this thought kept persisting and at that time, internet was dial-up, so it was a very slow process getting connected. But I did a bit of research, and recommendations were that you should buy a book called Contacts. And it was a spotlight publication of many, many years ago, and it had information about drama school, casting directors, actors. Everything you needed was in that book. It was like the Bible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I went to WH Smith. I think I was probably around 13 at the time. So I bought this book and I began to create a letter explaining who I was, describing my parents as being deaf and that they were on benefits. They didn't have much money, so they wouldn't be able to afford for me to be <clears throat> uh, studying. Then I looked through the book and I went through the list of drama schools and sent this letter to all of them in London with um, the, the secondary school. What does what that you mean? mean? What does that mean? The secondary school. What's your sign for secondary? 
oh yeah I just I, I was just kind of like <laughs> I, I don't know I didn't know what you were doing then so like okay thanks thanks for clarifying secondary school okay all right yeah and I waited and I waited and I didn't hear anything and then I had a phone call one day and it was from one of the very high-end drama schools which was Italia Conti oh yeah yeah and in the phone call, they said, this very posh voice, this very posh lady said, uh, we've received your letter and we want you and your mum to come to London and we want to meet you. So I said to my mum, do you mind if we go to London? She said, well, what for? So I explained. And she didn't know I'd been sending these letters in the first place. So she accompanied me to Italia Conti, to this huge building up the stairs and into the office and they said that they read my letter and they wanted me to, to, to describe myself further. And they had costs of £15,000 per year, year to 15, study. 15000 for one yes. year? Whoa. And we said, you know, we can't afford that. My parents are on benefits. That's really something that they couldn't even save up for. So the response was, that's fine. We will offer you a scholarship for free wow. and that's for you to attend our school every Saturday but the terms and conditions were that I would have to commit to attending every Saturday and I would have to study dance ballet tap singing drama all of it that would be my commitment and I just said yes 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 so that's what I did every Saturday I would get a train to London on my own go and study and make that trip every weekend. And I would still, alongside of that, be doing my GCSEs and my performing arts stuff in my secondary 14, school. 14, were you? How old? 14? Yes, wow. 14, 15. Wow, that's a lot of responsibility. Then when I was 16, Italia Conti said, why don't you audition for the main school? So the, the, the school you would study at beyond 16. I thought, again, well, it's not something we'd be able to afford. But I went to the audition, got in, which was a shock. And again, these fees of £15,000 a year cropped up. So I had to do a second audition for a scholarship. Said to my dad, I want to do this. And he said, we can't afford it it's better if you do something like a plumbing course. And I thought, a plumbing course? That's not something I would like at all. And he said, well, if they say no to this scholarship, you need to have something in the background. So I made an application to college under duress. I really didn't want to do a plumbing course. Oh, bless you. But I think my father, with his Asian background, couldn't really understand the world of acting in terms of how could you make a living. So I waited and waited following my audition got my letter and was awarded a full scholarship. Oh, wow. Which was wow. so amazing. So I moved to London and that was with my parents' support. I think they were a little nervous about the whole thing. So I went to drama school for three years, graduated and flourished from there in the acting world. Wow. That is a beautiful story. Wow. Wow. So, you said that um, you went to Italia Conti, but what, what what was the drive? What made you want to do acting? I know you talked about your grandma and singing, and you sort of got the the fuel from there. But really, what was the real sort of um, passion that you had towards theatre? What was that uh, drive that really made you want to be part of that world and really go for the funding? And you knew that it was yeah. difficult, like you said, in terms of funding but where did you get that spark from that drive where do you think that really came from that really made you want to go for it it's interesting because that question has been asked to me before is not coming from a family with any kind of acting background I, it's just something that I knew I knew I wanted to do it and also as a coder a child of deaf adults um, I was always very expressive I would perform for my parents or if we had visitors, I would perform for them. And they would, you know, they would say this is something you should do. But 
it was just something that was instinctive. I knew. And I think if you're born into a working class family, into a deaf family, you experience so much oppression that you have to develop a very thick skin. And I learned that at a very young age that I would have to really stand up for myself. Um, my father was born in Africa and he talked about his own struggles. And I think it was already there. It was innate. It was just something that, you know, when I look back at 12 and 13 and I'm writing these letters, I kind of think, gosh, that's impossible. But I was so determined. I just knew, as you say, I had this fire burning within me. And now I'm 30 and that fire is still burning. You know, that I, I experience frustrations and sometimes that fire can become somewhat negative because I want to achieve so much and I experience failure, which is difficult. But at the same time, that fire pushes me yeah. to continue yeah. to succeed and want more. Well, I'm so glad that you've got that fire within you, Alan, because it means that we've seen to date all that amazing stuff that you've done throughout your career. So thanks for that fire. I think it's really important to have that fire especially within the acting world, because it's really hard. It's a really brutal world and it's not an easy career. So I think the one benefit that you have, like you say, is and for myself as well, is that we've got that fire within us. And I think it just then makes it easier because it gives you that drive to want to do it. And if you didn't have that fire, if, you know, the flames weren't always lit, I think it makes it harder because it's a real battle to just keep going. And it's not just in acting that you need that fire, in anything. If you've got something that you want to do, if you have that fire, that's what drives you through. So I'm really happy that you have found your fire within theatre. It's great. I think also it's something that we learned in drama school, you know, to keep that fire burning. They gave us the right tools, of which there were many, yeah. to keep us prepared. And I feel that that's a real privilege to have had that training. Um, the privilege that I got to go, that I got the scholarship. I know how lucky I am. Oh, great. Um, and we have been looking at your Spotlight. So Spotlight, um, basically um, it's a website for the audience at home who I'm not sure what it is. It is a casting website. And if you're an actor, you can register to be on there and you post things that you've done um, throughout your career. So you post your CV on there, all the work that you've done. And so when you apply for jobs, they can um, or with agents or whatever, they can link to your Spotlight CV. So you put on the commercials that you've done, the TV, everything is on your Spotlight CV. So I have been looking at yours, Alim, and it's pretty astounding at how much you've done. I've picked out a few things. So here we go. And I've written it down. So there's a long list. You have done musicals. You've done voiceover. Um, you've done musicals such as The Boy in the Dress. Um, which is a famous story written by David Walliams, who's written lots of different children's books. And you were in The Boy in the Dress. That was with the RSC. Uh, also, you've done voiceover such as Magic Hands, which I'm sure some of our deaf viewers watching will know Magic Hands. It's a programme for um, a BBC for deaf children. It's got signing within it. And you were the voiceover for Nadim, wasn't it? That's right, Nadim. That was it. So if you ever you're watching that and you see Nadim, you will know that Alan did the voiceover for him. And um, you've also done uh, with Definitely Theatre, you did Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh, like I say, that was with Definitely Theatre and that was also at the Globe. Um, you've done commercials, singing, choreography. Uh, you've been a dance captain as well. Uh, you've done Panto. Um, you've done uh, Bangra. You've done Bollywood. You've done jazz. Street dance, ballet, pas de deux, pas de deux, what is that pas de deux? So pas de deux is, oh, it's when you dance together with someone. Oh, and you get lifted up or they lift you. Oh, wow. Okay. And you've done a uh, drag queen act and, oh, motion capture. Um, so that's where you have sort of the spots on and then they then track you to make it into um 3D animation, that's right, isn't it? Wow, the list just goes on, Alim, it's very impressive. You've also been in EastEnders. I know you talked earlier that you used to watch that and then finally you got a role in that, which is amazing. 
as well. One thing that I was like, wow, when I saw it was um, that you were in the film Mamma Mia. And you actually went abroad for that. So was it Mamma Mia 2? Is that right? Yeah. So you were in that. Whoa, so much stuff. And that is just half of what you've done. It's amazing, Alan. Really amazing resume. So all of that experience that you've done um, since the age of 13 to date, what would you say is your favourite moment if you had to choose one of that whole career? I know it's hard to just pick one favourite from all of those, but maybe favourite moments. And also, that's the first thing, um, what is the most, I guess, valuable life lesson that you've had or life experience that you've learned through, through, your, through your career? So from the age of 13 right through to now, so that's what, 17 years. So the first one is, what is your favorite moment or moments? And what is a life lesson? Oh, there are so many favorite moments, but I think EastEnders, because as I said, it was a dream come true. I mean, when I got the call to say I got that role, I just got so nervous and I was thinking, no, no, cancel, can't do it. I need to call my agent and pull out. I was just incredibly nervous. Um, and then I, I mean, it was during the coronavirus. It was at the beginning of the coronavirus, sort of last July. Oh, what, just last, last July? Yes, just oh, last wow. year. So Isn't we're it? all still in that not sure stage trying to work out what was going on I arrived and we we're all segregated and the two meter rule etc but the, the first time I was allowed on the set to begin filming I was literally in Albert Square and it was suddenly the child appeared within me and I got so nervous because I'd watched it so many times it's a funny story my sister and I my sister who is deaf we would joke and say oh yeah and in the future EastEnders should be a deaf EastEnders and there should be a hearing aid on the logo <laughs> Brilliant. and we used to talk about that when we were young and then suddenly there I was in the program and my dream had come true and I was standing on that set and at that moment I mean, I, I was only there for a short moment, but it still had a huge impact that I had fought for so long to get to this point. And even though it was such a small role, it still felt like my dream had come true. In terms of a lesson that I've learned, if I'm honest, because within my upbringing, there had been a few struggles um, as a coder, having a deaf family, experiencing oppression within the family, I became angry. I had a lot of anger with the government, with society, because of the way that they were treated my parents or treated my family. So there was a lot of anger within me. And occasionally I would express that anger in the wrong way during my career. And I'm aware that I have attacked people because I felt that they've done something wrong. And I brought people up when they made a mistake, but I needed to be able to offer solutions and work together with those people. So that was the lesson I learned. So now I am an activist. Um, I think I'm a natural activist. I've realized that I never thought of myself as one, but because of the frustrations that I've experienced, whether it's against the government or other forms of oppression, I realize that it's about working together and educating and encouraging people to learn and change their behaviors. And I think that's the lesson that I've learned. So how I was growing up and now is very different. That's a huge lesson I've learned. Oh, definitely, yeah. I definitely appreciate those life lessons. Mm. Yeah, life can be hard, like you say. So, you know, you can learn through life. Yeah, you can learn through your life experiences. That really sort of shapes who you are and becomes who you are. It's really important, I think, to have those life lessons. I think they're, you know, we have to appreciate those in a sense. But wow, listening to you and the extenders, well done for getting that role. 
I really hope that you come back again and you become more of a returning character, fingers crossed. And of course, if they want to bring me in on a regular character, I'm very willing, fingers crossed. Yeah, we want to keep watching Alan. We need to do that. So wonderful. Yeah, reading all your experiences and your career today really is. So now I want to um, ask you a question going back to 2018. You put out a few tweets, um, comments talking about um, how you feel it was a really poor representation of BSL um, within the industry as a whole. Really bad, poor representation. Um, you know, they, they weren't given the same opportunities, the same chances to be seen on and off screen within theatre. But then last year, just in 2020, um, you then decided to actually set up alongside um, Equity, um, the Acting Equity Union, and they were supporting uh, who support actors, Equity, and with Definitely Theatre. So the three of you were actually set up together um, and launched, I'm just checking my notes here, Alim, it was called The Guide to, uh, the interpreter screen has frozen at that point, um, so it was called The Guide to Working with BSL Within the Arts. How did that actually come about, that process? Um, from 2018 to 2020, can you talk us through those two years, what you were doing? So I think um, back in 2018, I had observed again and again hearing actors playing deaf characters. So that began to decline but then what I started to see was hearing actors as a hearing character but being asked to use sign language in that character and the quality of the sign language was terrible and I was with my mum watching something and my mum just said I don't understand what that person is doing and that person has taken my language and that had a huge impact on me because when sign language is represented on screen or in the theatre, you're representing a community, you're representing a culture. And if that language isn't being represented properly or authentically, it feels like tokenism. And if people need to access that language and understand what people are saying, I mean, I, could, I use an example that I've used before, where if you bring a Spanish person in, Sorry, if you bring an English person in and ask them to speak Spanish and then you ask a Spanish audience to understand them, but the quality of their Spanish is so poor that they can't, that's exactly the same. So I decided to start tweeting about it. And I began to have discussions with Equity about creating this guide and they said, oh yes, why not? Because it was about finding a solution. Okay, people were using sign language in a very poor way, but it was about finding a solution. And I said it was very important for this solution to include deaf people. And the suggestion was definitely theatre because of their very high profile. They're an established company. So we brought in definitely theatre. Paula Garfield was delighted to support. Um, she was able to give her thoughts on it, but also consult with deaf actors because they were out there working in the industry who had never had the voice to contribute to this discussion. They tended to be sidelined. So it was about asking deaf actors to be involved. And this was launched last year. So I'm really hoping it has a positive impact and the content starts to be considered because it's always the onus on deaf actors to say, oh, um, can you talk about sign language? Can you teach us about sign language again and again? And it's about people definitely, being able to definitely. refer to the guide and use that as a positive way forward. It's so valuable. You know, I know myself, um, I've felt the frustration, just like you say, lots of us um, are deaf actors. We feel the frustration of having to repeat ourselves all the time. You know, I feel like within the industry, it's not so much, well, that they ignore us or their ignorance. It's actually they do want to work with us. They're just nervous. Um, they do want to know how to improve things and work with us. But often it's a case of where do they start? You know, and sometimes we as the deaf creatives have to say here with the guide, if you follow the guide, you know, and match what's sort of in there rather than, you know, being ignorant and ignoring. Um, 
it therefore means that we actually can work together. Um, so I think what you set up last year is really invaluable and hopefully that'll um, go out everywhere really. I think, um, you know, we're going to add to that. So there's going to be improvements put in there. It's not just a fixed document, should we say. Um, you know, you can send through links to the guide and then you can add to it as well. Um, they'll be able to have a look through of uh, how it's been working to date. We can also add to that and update it. We really appreciate that because we know, you know, recently the controversy um, just before Christmas, November time over in America, there was the series called The Stand um which is an american series and they actually brought in a hearing actor to play a deaf role which you know the american deaf creators were in uproar about it and they actually released a statement against what had happened and myself and a lot of the uk deaf creatives um we created um a statement as well in support of the american deaf artists um in solidarity against what had happened with the stand it was just shocking the spotlight, no, not spotlight, it was Twitter, that was it. There were so many comments which were really positive and in support of it, but there were also quite a few negative comments as well, saying, you know, come on, acting, it's just acting. It's like, oh, for goodness sake, you know, I'm sure you know, there's still a lot of those negative comments out there. The negative issues are still there. Um, you know, the BSL that you've created, this guide, it will hopefully be a big support to improve things going forward within the industry in the future. Do you any have any thoughts about what happened with the controversy of the stand? You know, and what's been happening since then? Do you have any thoughts about that? You know, the hearing actor that was cast in a deaf role. And we do kind of understand the purpose of why we were just so cross about it. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I object completely, of course. A hearing person playing a deaf actor for me is an absolute no-no. But it's interesting, the same conversation occurred about black people is that when people used to black up and it's like, what is blacking up? You can't do that. But at the same time, um, th there's an acceptance of a hearing actor playing a deaf character. And, and the, the realization is that these are the things that you can't do. And we're having that same conversation now about hearing actors. And I think it's about any oppressed minority there are always those with privilege who take away from that community. And within the acting world to date, it is full of privileged people. So the people who can afford, um, those within a deaf community can't afford training because it's an oppressed minority that don't have the income. So again, there's that privilege in terms of income. I think it will change, but I have noticed improvements but what I've started to see is poor examples so people will begin to use sign language and then there'll be a decision oh no actually don't sign can you use your voice or if it's a deaf character they'll bring in a hearing actor to sign and they sign really really badly so there seems to be problems that are out there, but I remain optimistic. I think, you know, with the deaf community was was small, but the, the, the hearing that the acting community is small, but it's growing. You know, there's deaf actors, there's hard of hearing actors like me, we have allies, and that deaf talent is out there. And I think there will be improvements and I remain positive. Definitely, because, you know, in terms of theatre and film to date in the casting, it's always been stereotyped. You know, it's been given to um, pe other people who are telling our stories. So the writer gets in people who aren't appropriate um, for that role. That's happened so many times. It's the frustration of sort of seeing that role, you know, it's for you, and then it's being cast to someone else. And it really undermines that deaf role, that deaf character. You know, we as deaf actors, it's like saying we're not good enough to play our own role. We've been the ones that have experienced all of those things growing up. And then suddenly we're not casting those roles. The same with black actors, you know, they're demoted to a slave within the production, for example. Um, and we're shown, you know, in lots of the minority groups like that, we're demoted. It happens to a lot of the minority groups. We've got so many more stories to tell. We are not just one dimensional. There's so many stories for us to tell about ourselves. And I just think it's really important that we really change the narrative 
of, I guess, what has been given to us, what's written there in the script and the characters there. I know that there's lots of tests. I don't know if you know the one called the Riz test, which is um, a Muslim, uh, to show um, Muslim representation, the Riz test, R-I-Z. It's based on a um, famous actor, Riz Ahmed. He actually um, is a Muslim himself, a Muslim Asian. And uh, he established the test to actually see whether or not Muslim characters um, within TV and what sort of roles they played. Were they servants or what roles were they within production? And quite often they were the subservient lower class roles. So the test failed. Um, you know, also as well, um, it was showing that quite often those particular characters were serving the lead, which was often a white person. They weren't owning the lead character as the Muslim, so it failed that test. They were the subservient roles within that Riz test. Um, there's also another test called the Beshmal test, which is trying to identify women representation within the industry and within films. It's now increasing, which is great. It's really important that that's happening, but we also need to show deaf representation within these series as well. Over to you, Alan. I think also, it's about offering opportunity and that's what's lacking. You know, I dreamed, I dream that black, white, gay, deaf, anybody can, any of those groups can play any role. That's the dream. But the playing field is not equal. No, it's not. Um, for a white, straight, non-disabled person, I'm sorry to say they automatically have a huge privilege and it's their responsibility to start saying I'm not going to take this role I'm going to offer that opportunity elsewhere um, and there is one actor I know who has a very high profile who is straight and was asked to audition for a gay character and they phoned me and said oh I don't feel very comfortable with this and they rejected that opportunity and said this should be offered to a gay actor and I understand that people say, oh, acting is acting, but it's about opportunity and it's about providing opportunity to those who don't get that opportunity ordinarily. And it's about challenging stories and saying this isn't authentic. This wouldn't really happen. This doesn't represent lived experience. And it's something that I've done and it means that the story becomes much more authentic and a much richer story. Yeah. So absolutely. absolutely number one. It's not necessarily about the just about actors. It's also about deaf creatives in other fields, whether it's writers, deaf directors, deaf camera people. Um, and if those those ideas are created from the beginning by deaf individuals, those stories are much richer. And then you bring on the deaf actors who can present that story. That's Absolutely. the dream. Definitely. And also, you know, I'm trying to think of the right word. It's taking the risk maybe is that right yeah if you take the risk and you, if you don't take the risk you undermine the deaf talent yet again you know there's enough deaf talent out there um deaf actors are growing the pool of um deaf artists is growing you know it really is and if, if we have a fully diverse cast and crew you know then great and there's you know there's still further development to go with that but we've got that pool already there to tap into and if you are open to giving those people opportunities and working together with them, like you said, you know, from the very start, then, then everything would just become smoother. If you make that adjustment, it just makes so much more sense to be authentic. And, you know, the hearing, the hearing gaze, shall we say, from the hearing perspective and the deaf perspective. And it feels like the deaf perspective is not equal to the hearing perspective at the moment and we need that equality you know the deaf actors are out there I keep saying the word gaze it's wrong the deaf gaze the deaf perspective shall we say the deaf perspectives are out there the same as the hearing and they're just not equal at the moment we need to almost take off that deaf and hearing and just have you know the gaze because we're all then on an equal platform you know if we sort of uh, we're, we're, we're deemed to be um, uh, less we need to get that more equal between everybody so everyone's got equal representation and we're all on the same footing okay thinking of another question you have been campaigning should we say um uh, that we did the bsl campaigning within the arts and 
you know, having that skill of BSL within your CV, um, you know, having that level of qualification in terms of BSL, you've really campaigned to actually show um, uh, that, that there's the different levels shown within people's CV, that you have to be fully qualified in BSL. You fought for that right within people's CVs. You have to sort of state what qualification you are. Yes, that, that took place before the equity guide. Um, because again, I was seeing hearing actors using sign language of a poor standard, but casting directors were bringing them in because they had stated that on their spotlight pages, that they had BSL in, a BSL skill, but that skill hadn't been monitored or verified in any way. And they would be using that level of sign language in performance that was not being understood, or they would be taught by a BSL consultant once rehearsals had start, a deaf BSL consultant. And that's tricky when they don't have the skills to begin with. That conversation with Spotlight was incredibly difficult. So I contacted Equity and wrote an article for the stage newspaper. And then they expressed uh, a desire to be involved. And I fought for that for a year and finally they agreed to have that option of saying I am level one in BSL, which is fine. There's, you know, I applaud anyone with level one, but it wasn't just I have BSL. The, there had to be a recognition of what level, you know, because there are people who don't sign very well. And it'd be great to have somebody like that in that named character in, in, a, in a production. But we need to need to be seeing the different levels so we could identify if somebody was a native user of, of sign language as a deaf person or a coder who grew up within a deaf sign language environment. And I've heard that people have looked on people's pages, seen level two and gone, OK, no, that's not going to be good for us. So there is there is an understanding of how important those levels are. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for really campaigning and being an advocate of that. Yeah, just making sure that um, you know, spotlights, uh, you're actually showing transparency within people's spotlight pages and on their CV. You know, when you're actually looking for a specific role, um, you know, when they put sort of that they're a native and they're not, you know, BSL uh, at any level, and then that person is cast and they're not of a high enough level. You know, they could be just level one and they got the job over a person who was like fully qualified or level six, you know, or native. It's not fair. So yeah, it's just, I guess, showing that clarity within people's spotlight pages. And so that when you're actually, when casting directors um, are looking for a specific role, then they actually have it on Thank people's you. spotlights. But that, that work with spotlight was what made me realize the importance of creating this guide because casting directors will be looking at level one and level two and it wouldn't have meant anything to them. So as a community, we need to needed to educate so that was why the guide then emerged because it explains what level one is, what level three is. Um, so, you know, level one is sort of yeah. conversational, this equivalent of conversational French and then level six is fluency. So it meant that casting directors had more of an understanding when they saw those levels on a spotlight page, what they actually meant and what the equivalence yeah. was in the language in terms of fluency. Yeah, well, it's thanks to you really. Um, You've really inspired me to actually, you know, and other people to actually be mindful within the industry. There are lots of hurdles and there are difficulties out there, but we actually want to offer solutions to those. Like you said, not just sort of challenge them in an aggressive way. If you offer the solutions, then that's how things change. You know, you offered to equity or way of changing and that's how things will change. If you really sort of fight for things, um, you know, there's quite a few things actually. Um, that, um, you know, in terms of things that we need to change. Um, but unfortunately, we can't talk any more about that because the interview is, um, time is running out. So last year during lockdown, um, you actually worked with two different casting directors. Uh, they were Sophie Holland, I believe you worked with, Sophie Holland, and also another casting director called Faye Timby. Both of them are casting directors. And I know that you worked with them both through lockdown to actually meet quite a lot of deaf and hard of hearing actors, just to meet them, give them a quick interview and chat, see what their plans were for the future, you know, what things they'd done within uh, theatre and film. How did you actually meet those two casting directors? Um, you know, as, as an actor yourself, um, 
why did you think that it was important to actually meet with those casting directors? What was the thinking behind that collaboration? I think because I was had the training at drama school is I was aware of casting directors and many deaf actors don't have the privilege of that drama school training. Uh, during lockdown, the world became a little bit uncertain and unsteady and deaf people were even more isolated because of lockdown. Of course, we had Zoom and online events, but many of them weren't accessible. And I saw Sophie Holland saying that she wanted the opportunity to meet actors who were bored at home. Um, and I saw that announcement and it was very hearing focused. Then I knew Faye because she was a good friend and I contacted her and said, have you considered meeting deaf people? And then a huge stream of people commented and said, oh, my friend can sign and can support you or my friend can sign. They can help to interpret for this. And I looked through that list of people and none of them were a qualified interpreter. And that just made my skin crawl. So I replied and said, look, I will interpret for these if you're up for it. The response was, why not? And I expected that it would only be a small number that would respond, but it wasn't. We were overwhelmed. It was supposed to be one session for one hour of meeting people for five minute conversations. What actually happened was it ended <laughs> up being four two hour sessions, which was lovely. And Faye was amazing. She met deaf actors, hard of hearing actors, and she realized how much talent there was out there. And in meeting those actors, she realized their lack of opportunity, actors she'd never met before. And that was a real um, moment for her. And it was really lovely that she had the opportunity to have those conversations. And she's auditioned deaf actors since. So hopefully there'll be some positive stories coming out in the future. Absolutely. It's really interesting. I know, you know, when people meeting those casting directors, it's just really important for them to do so. You know, it's open. It's a first sort of door opening to actually, you know, getting bigger projects, jobs, whatever. I think it's just a really great start. And, you know, the fact that they've met them, they can actually bring them in and meet them, meet the directors later, for example. You know, we, we all sort of struggle for work, particularly during lockdown last year, you know, when that actually happened. Um, it was really lovely. I actually went and met uh, um, the casting directors and I've had three or four opportunities um, within one year which has just been more than more than to date to be honest so it's that thanks to you really um, it's given us the platform um, uh, for the deaf and hard of hearing actors to actually meet those casting directors and give them opportunities um, so thanks for opening that door and supporting us and making sure that we have the opportunities so thanks for that really um, thanks from the actors as well. I think it's really important to meet the casting directors, those sorts of people, and that they can be, um, bear them in mind for future roles and things. And we can keep in contact with those casting directors and hopefully, you know. Um, yes, you often meet the gatekeeper, that's yes. right. The, that's right, yeah. Actually meeting that gatekeeper is great because that's the entrance into getting other jobs, you know. Um, I've read sort of other actors' stories and things and um, I've realised how they actually got roles and it's through being let in that, that door. I think, you know, if we can sort of regularly meet those kinds of people, that would be great. I'm just very aware of time and it's getting shorter and shorter. Um, I've just got a very quick round for you, which um, apparently every week we're going to have this sort of uh, quick fire round question. Um, yeah, like I say, it's quick fire rounds, just asking questions and you just respond whatever comes to your head first okay so i've just got a few questions here so here we go oh. theater or film oh at quick, the quick, moment quick. film <gasps> film oh. costume or set costume costume okay oh. tea or coffee oh coffee strong coffee Ooh. Ooh. okay <laughs> Uh, cat or dog? Dog. Dog. Oh, you've got a dog, have you? I yeah. do. I have a French oh, bulldog. Oh, Audrey. 
Audrey, oh, cute. Okay, sea or mountain landscape, which would you prefer? Sea and beach. Sea and beach, okay. Stage fighting or dancing? Dancing. Of course. Mm. Lovely. Pub or restaurant? Restaurant. Posh restaurant. Ah. And one final question. So, like you say, this is called the green room. We said at the beginning, uh, you know, we talked about green room within theatre. So, what is your favourite green room that you've been to? What is your favourite one? Oh, possibly the best is the one at the RSC, the Royal Shakespeare Company, because. They have the most amazing cafe within oh. the green room. Fresh coffee, hot food. So in the interval of the show, you can go in, buy a drink, buy some chocolate, stuff yourself, and then go back and perform again. Lovely. Oh, great. Oh, my gosh. We need to go to the RSC. And it is amazing. Room. Never been. Oh. oh, well, Alan, it has just been wonderful chatting with you. Hearing all your stories, your experiences, your advice, your uh, how you've been so proactive. I really thanks so much. Really are a great person. It's uh, thanks to you that so much great stuff is happening. It's not just thinking of yourself; it's working with other people. I think you're a wonderful person. And um, thanks um, for having the interview with us today. Thank you so much for coming um, oh, and being part of our green room. That's really kind. Thank you so much for inviting me yes. and. I absolutely advocate for the deaf community. You can do anything you want. And I expect to see you in EastEnders soon. Yes. Yes, <laughs> fingers crossed. And one last, I've heard on the grapevine <laughs> that you might be in Strictly Come Dancing too. Is that right? Oh, that's my that's ultimate dream. dream. Oh, that's that's the dream. one I want okay. to get. You I'm... can achieve that in life. And once you've so got that. Any producers watching, I'm up for it. Alan? Alan, anyone for bringing in Alan to Strictly? And I'd be the first hard of hearing dancer to be in it in Perfect. Strictly Come Dancing. Yes. Oh, fingers crossed, Alan. I just I want to thank you. It's been brilliant today. Thanks so much. Thanks to the two BSL interpreters, Bev and to Susan, for voicing over for both of us today. Thank you to both of them. You've been <laughs> wonderful. You've done a great job. Thanks so much to everyone. Thank you. Before we come to a close, I just want to thank you and the production team as well for setting this up, setting up this interview. I want to thanks to all of you, the audience, for watching and listening. I really hope that you've learned something new today and you feel like you've got a fire in your belly as well to fight the cause or to get involved and to support each other. And if you've got an idea or any questions that you want to ask, remember, no, there's no silly questions. If you want to ask something about how maybe how to improve um, the industry, how to improve in terms of access, um, uh, in terms of any of that sort of stuff, if you want to get in contact with us, and you can look on our YouTube channel and answer some of your questions and comments there. And then we're also on social media. Remember that it's hashtag the green room underscore UK. And you can post comments there that we'll see as well. And we can start a discussion bring up anything that you want to talk about and add to the conversation. Please do, please get in contact with us. We'd be really excited to hear from you. Let's keep this conversation going and keep this action going forward. Let's keep this momentum and let's keep deaf in theatre and disabled people within theatre and TV and film and hard of hearing people with all of those for as long as we can and keep this going, the momentum. Thanks so much. I think that's the list of everything that I needed to say. I'm just checking. Yes, I think it is. So remember, every Thursday, half past seven, we've got these interviews that we'll be posting up online. Please come along and check them out every Thursday. We'll see you there in the green room. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Guest, Alim Jada. Host, Stephen Collins. Interpreters, Susan Booth and Beverly Wilson. Music, Road Trips, Off Shane. The Green Room, a video podcast produced by Strive 
a collective made up of the DH Ensemble and Hot Coals Productions. You can find all the videos and audio recordings of this series at www.strivecollective.org forward slash the hyphen green hyphen room. Twitter at Strive Collective with no E. Hashtag the green room underscore UK. Celebrating best practice, spotlighting unsung heroes, inspiring action. Logos for Strive, Hot Coals Productions and the DH Ensemble supported using public funding by Arts Council England.